This podcast is brought to you by Workle, a platform helping people get happier at work. Find out more at workle.co. Work happier. Oh, in the early days, there was the likes of Dinah Ross, Janet Jackson, being in the salon. It really gave me that inspiration that I could be somebody. I have to look after my son. So I started to think about what it would look like if I had my own business. I think the Princess Trust really helped, helped me to realise that my dreams can come true. Welcome to the Happy Work Life podcast, where people with inspiring careers reflect on how happy they have been in their working lives. On this podcast, we hear from a range of people working in business, startups, science, academia, media, healthcare, fashion, and much more, and find out which roles gave them the most satisfaction and importantly, what they have done to get happier at work. So sit down with me, Mark Price, founder of Workle, to help you get happier at work. Workle is the platform where you can find a job in the happiest companies, take our happiness test, network, and get career support from experts and much, much more. So on this edition of the Happy Work Life podcast, I'm really delighted to be joined by Charlotte Menser. Now, I'm sure many of you will already know Charlotte. She's the owner of the Hair Lounge Salon and is an award-winning hairstylist. On three occasions now, she has been crowned the Afro Hairdresser of the Year. She's written a book all about uh, good hair. And in addition to that, she's launched her own range of products called the Charlotte Menza Manchetti Oil Product Range. So, Charlotte, it's absolutely wonderful to have you on the programme. You've achieved so much. I'd just like to start, if I can, with your early years. Was Mm -hmm. there anything when you were growing up that inspired you or made you think, you know, when when I grow up, what I want to do is be a hairstylist? Do you know what? Growing up, I never actually thought I would be a hairdresser because I um, spent my primary years in Ghana. So at the age of three months, my parents sent me back to live with their parents in Accra, Accra, Ghana. And, um, you know, I saw my grandmother who had eight children and they all had children. They all lived together in one house. So there was quite a lot of us. I think there was close to 47 of us living in the house. So my grandma did everything. She did our hair. She cooked. She had a massive clay oven where she baked lots of bread, cakes, biscuits, and we, the grandchildren, will carry them on a train on our heads and sell it. So I think that was kind of like a beginning of business without us even realizing, because we would have been roughly between the ages of seven and 12, like a few of us carrying the trays of bread. And also my grandfather, he was a director of a brewery. So it was the first sort of brewery to be set up in Ghana called Tata. And he was driven to work and he would sometimes take me with him to work. I remember being like seven years old and sat around this big sort of boardroom (laughs) table and there's lots of men in suits talking. Even little did I know that that was probably, you know, some of the building blocks of business that was being instilled in me. And, um, you know, I returned back to London at the age of 11 and... You know, my mom was had a very different life. She was living as a single parent on an estate, 
you know, she, she, um, you know, it was quite a struggling type of life compared to the kind of community and the, the space that we had in Ghana was quite different because it, the, the flats were, I don't know, I, I looked to them like, they looked a bit like prisons to me. <laughs> it was quite enclosed, not prison, but it was quite isolated, you know? And it wasn't as free and spacious and all that kind of, you know, that kind of scene that was, I, I, I remember growing up in, in Ghana. So I think even seeing my mom and her, you know, she also used to juggle a lot of different jobs. So, cause she was a single parent, she used to do a couple of hours cleaning jobs here and there. And she also did Avon. So I remember going with my mom to knock on the doors and deliver the Avon books. And, you know, about three or four days later, we'll collect the books back. She'll put the order through. And then when the, the goods came, we would deliver it. So that was, you know, a kind of business as well without me even realizing that I was part of that. But I think my whole introduction to her came when um, I lost my mom. So when I lost, I lost my mom at the age of 13 and I naturally became like the mother to my younger sister who was three. So I would cook for her, I would do her hair, I'll read to her. And I think doing my sister's hair also helped us cope because it was so traumatic losing our mom so early. And um, also I never really lived with her. So I've lived in Ghana all of my primary years. I've now returned to the UK and, you know, so tragically two years later, she's passed away. So I think it was a way of me kind of getting some sort of bonding with my sister as well. And also it felt every time I did my sister's hair, it almost felt like mum was around because that's what she would have done for us. And then at the age of 15, the careers officer came to my school and they introduced, it was almost like a job center actually. They came with this massive board and it had lots and lots of different jobs. And they, it was under the youth training scheme. So it was a YTS. And I naturally just, you know, I just thought, oh, I can do hair. So I'm going to go for the hair, the hair advert. So we, there was a few, but there was one that really stuck out, which was Splinters, the first black salon to open in the UK. And a friend of mine who was a couple of years older than me had told me about it and said, oh, I've got an apprenticeship there. It's amazing. I really love it there. There's so many famous people coming in and, you know, there's lots of different hairstyles and we both like fashion. So naturally I was like you know what I think I'm gonna try and put the application in and luckily I got through so that was like amazing you know I was so happy I walked into the salon and I just couldn't believe it, it kind of reminded me of that community I had in Ghana it was very big you know it had three floors the music was playing it was very buzzy lots of lots of like lovely hairstyles and also I just thought, oh, I've got the same hair. Like I'm, I'm gonna learn how to do so much more with my hair. This is gonna be amazing. And Winston Isaacs, the founder was so amazing, like the way he approached hair. So I think that was, yeah, that's kind of like how I got into it. It wasn't, I, there was no plan. Like, I think to be honest, when I was coming back on the plane to London at the age of 11, I remember looking at the hair hostess and thinking, maybe I could end up as one of these ladies or actually also when when we were in Ghana I always used to go to the bank with my grandfather and I used to love seeing those women in the offices I was thinking oh maybe I want to do something in finance so my mind was always around business in a way but I never knew I was going to end <laughs> I did, had no idea 
I was going to end up in here. Um, and what about school? Did you like school or were you always thinking about working and doing more entrepreneurial things? I love school. When I was growing up in Ghana, I loved school so much. I was like one of the best students in my class. I was the best reader. I was the best at maths. I mean, I was like literally very studious, very academic, and I just love going to school. But my experience when I came to London was so different. You know, I walked into the school and I remember I got to London in November. So I got to London around November 5th and I'd already missed the school, the start of the school year, which is September. So I had to wait till January. So it was quite a long time. So I think by the time I got to start, a lot of the students already made friends. So they were all in their groups. So I walked in. I'm very different to everyone, dark skin, my hair was short, I had an African accent and everyone just laughed at me. I was teased so much, I was bullied, I was kicked, I was like traumatized, you know, like, and so I didn't really like school when I got to London. And I remember saying to my mom, look, please just buy me a ticket and just send me back because these people here are vile, they're so cruel. Every day I'm literally crying, I have no friends, and then I think when we, I used to complain to the teachers, they would just take a group of us. It was me and two other kids that came from Bangladesh. They would take us into another classroom. And I thought, you know, why are they taking it? They used to call it the language center. And I was like, I could speak English. Why am I going to this language center? So I thought that the way they dealt with it, because they othered us, it gave more power to the bullies to, to have a go at us. Cause they're like, oh, they're not good. Look, they're in a different class, whatever. So I think, I didn't really like school at that time, not at all, from the age of about 11. And then the sad thing is when I then started to like school around 12 and a half, shortly after my mom passed away. So then that was another trauma because then it was like, you know, how do you deal with this? You know, it's so, and you could never explain to someone how you felt, you know, it's just, you sort of just always felt sad and always inside yourself, you know? So I remember like for a long time, I never even used to like smiling. I used to just be really like, couldn't even bring it out of me. And I was someone that was always bubbly. So it was quite hard not to be able to, to let out how the joy, you know, sometimes feeling joy, I couldn't let it out because of the grieving. But I think the hairdressing, honestly, I felt like when that careers officer came, that was my savior, like that was the, the moment, you know. And then you started as a YTS apprentice when you were 16? Yes, I was 16. And it was a two-year scheme. And I remember we got the four days in the salon and then one day at college. So I was fortunate to have got into the London College of Fashion, which was very buzzing. It was just 1986, you know, getting off the tube at Oxford Circus, going into college. There was the likes of Alexandra McQueen, you know, it was it was so special. It was so because before that, I you know I've been living with like um my my dad and my stepmom in Edmonton, so it was very different Edmonton life to being in the West End, and also the type of people you would meet. You know, it was like very arty, very interesting people. So then it kind of gave you that inspiration that especially being in the salon in Splinters, it really gave me that inspiration that I could be somebody. I think that's where my mind started sort of coming together about, you know, running my own business and all of that. 
And so did you feel you found your happy place? A hundred percent. I think, you know, just having that, that training and the types of people that came in, it was very kind of social. So it was like a job, but it was very on a social. It's like, everyone's chatting. It's like, you know, there's always, it, it was light. It wasn't like heavy work. So I think it helped me with my grieving because there was always some light around. There was people laughing, people, you know, sharing stories. So it was well, probably without me even knowing, it was probably therapy for me. And you what know? famous people did you see in the salon in those early <laughs> days? Oh, in the early days, there was the likes of Dinah Ross, Janet Jackson. I remember being very friendly with um, Bob Marley's daughter, Sidella. So she was the same, like, she's the same age as me. So she would have been 16 coming into the salon and, you know, she would share all the stories of where they've been, they've been traveling. And I'll be like, oh, you've been to Japan. That sounds really nice. I'd love to go there one day. And she would tell you like what it's like. And, you know, they, they yeah. So she was very relatable to me in a sense of she was my age. And um, yeah, I felt like I found a friend in her. And there was lots of, loads of singers, Sunita. There was um, lots of the Americans will come in and, They'll be like, some of them, you probably might not know who they were, but later when they told you, you'd be like, wow, was that that person? Yeah, you know, <laughs> and then you pinch, you have a pinch me moment, you know, oh my God, I can't believe I washed their hair, you know. And and so tell us about those two years in training. What, what yeah. did you learn? How did it work? So the two years in training was like, it was set up in a way that you only did certain stuff for the, like, so we were the juniors. So the juniors washed hair made the tea you know we meet and greet the clients and made sure that they know who's styling their hair today and we literally worked with a stylist so you're like an assistant to a stylist you watch everything they do make sure that you know um whenever they needed something you're so quick to get it for them whether they needed the comb or the hair dryer make sure that it's there and then we did a lot of the washing so a lot of the washing is actually where all the conversations take place because a lot of the clients are so relaxed when they're getting their hair washed and they'll be telling you, oh, you know, my daughter just got into this school or I'm doing this. So I felt like um, I actually learned a lot of communication skills as well because they tell you stuff and you're like, oh, how do I answer that? You know, so it made you think on um, on your feet. And also just, um, you know, we went in stages. So the first six months will be all the washing hair. Then you move on to another stage, which would be like coloring, cutting and made in those days we used to do a lot of perms so there was a lot of perms a lot of curly perms we had to neutralize the hair sometimes you spend like an hour neutralizing the hair and your hands would turn into prunes you'd be, <laughs> you'd be like wow I've been doing this for too long look at my hands but um yeah we learned a lot all the fun fundamental um skills and techniques that you needed to know for um styling and looking after afro curly textures so then you finish your apprenticeship, you're 18. What, yes. what what then? So when I finished my apprenticeship, I was so like hungry for more knowledge. So I wanted to, to learn more. So for me, I always believed that you grow in different places. So then I heard about other salons that were like a bit smaller and more kind of more kind of boutique-y, because that was a big salon that had about maybe a hundred of us working there, Splinters. So then I I went on to, to work in um, lots of little boutique salons. One was La Paz, which I was a junior stylist. 
So then you're thrown in, you know, you're thrown into the um into the the front because you have to style someone's hair. So I think I learned a lot there, you know, because clients will come in, they will ask you for styles, and you're like, mm, I think I could do it, but you can't tell them that you could. You have to do it. So <laughs> you kind of just plucked up courage and confidence. And I think I learned a lot between 18 to 21. Yeah, I learned so much. And I was kind of styling hair. So I was styling hair, but on a junior level still. So it'd be like more like trims, um, you know, not too complicated hairstyles, just really sort of basics. And then I think when I got to about 20, 21, I started doing more senior styling where you'd be doing like hair extensions, um, you know, like creative coloring. So it was more kind of advanced stuff. And then I think, because I lost my home quite young in a sense of losing my mum, I've always wanted a family. So I had a baby quite young. So at 22, I've already had a baby. So then I was like, oh, now I cannot work as much because I have to look after my son. So I started to think about what it would look like if I had my own business. So I started touring with the idea of maybe renting a chair or doing it from home, which I did. So I was doing lots and lots of friends and family so the friends and family were actually not the guinea pigs, but they were the ones that, you know, they were coming and you do bits here and there, but probably that's where a lot of the mistakes happen, but they will forgive you sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even that's where a lot of the experience came from, you know, because that's the best teacher, you know, and. Um, and they're going to be honest, aren't they? Yes. And they'll say, they're going to tell you when they don't like it. Yeah. And they'll be like, oh no, do you know that this is falling out? And I'll be like, oh no, maybe we left it on too long. You know? <laughs> yeah. So. I think when I had my son, that's when I actually started really thinking about what it would look like to run my own business. So then when I, I think when he was about two and he started full-time nursery, I decided to rent a chair in a, in a salon. So there was a salon on Portobello Road that did mainly European hair. So I went in and I asked the manager, do you rent chairs? And they said, yeah, we'd love to rent a chair to you. So I started there. And my clientele really grew. So I started there with maybe not that many, maybe 25 clients. But by about two years later, I think I had over 400. Wow. Yeah. I had a lot of clients. People will come in every day. They will tell their friends. And I think if you have a really good personality as well, people genuinely like you because they know that they found a friend in you and it's more than just hair. So then they'll tell everyone, oh, she did my hair. And they, they were getting compliments and people would say, go to Charlotte, you know? So it was like that sort of word of mouth. So then, tell me then, because of course, yeah. as, you, as you grow in business, every step's a bit different and every step's a bit more difficult. So tell me how you go from renting a chair to the next step. Well, it, it, it took a while, even renting a chair, that was like having to pay well, actually, I think that's the first step because then you learn to money manage because then now you're having to pay someone for the space and also you have to buy your own products, you have to pay your own tax. So it's like a lot of, it's actually a smaller scale of running your own business, you know, but without the big overheads of having your own shop. So I think I, it was almost like I was testing the waters so once my clientele grew, I was then thinking, I really need to go out on my own. I need to find a shop because this is not, you know, it's not spacious enough. And I'm literally 
you know, I'm probably got people sitting on the ceiling soon because they're all waiting for me and it's like I've taken over someone's shop. So then um, I think it was a client that told me about the Portobello Business Centre. So I went along and they said, look, you have to put a business plan together. And then they told me about the Princess Trust. So the Princess Trust is the organisation that helps underprivileged young people to set up their own business. And because I was under 30, I was just under the threshold to get the grant. And I put my business plan together. I had a mentor who really helped me to, um, you know, put everything into place. And then I opened my first salon at the age of 29 in a business really? Yeah. But it wasn't, you know what, it was very difficult because I remember thinking, because I live in a Portobello area, it would be nice to have a shop on Portobello Road. It was so difficult. Every time I saw the to let sign, I'll try and ring up. They would tell me it's gone. Two weeks later, it's still vacant. And I mean, even the shop that I'm in now, it took for a white friend to literally call for me to have the shop. And this was in the 90s. So it was difficult. Even sometimes when you have had a business, you have the experience, you have the money, you still get a lot of no's for, you know, all of this. Um, yeah, so for me, um, I think the Princess Trust really helped in terms of like just helping me to to have a manual to what it is that I wanted to do and to also help me to realize that my dreams can come true. So finding that space wasn't the right look for what I was doing, but that's all I could have at that time. And I went in for it. And I remember going to the business center and thinking, wow, this is like a big concrete building. What am I going to do with it? But of course, because I'm so creative in other ways as well, me and a friend literally ripped it all out and we turned a pit into a palace. So we literally, you know, painted it, put nice florins, nice plants. And before we knew, it was this amazing oasis and people were coming from everywhere to this shop. So yeah. I outgrew that shop as well. It was like within two years, it was too small. You know, and then I found the the salon that I'm in now, and I've been there for over 21 years now. Did you meet the then Prince of Wales, now King, as part of your yes. Princess Trust work? <laughs> yes, I met him years ago. I think I met him when I was, I first met him when I was like 31, I think. Yeah, and then recently, obviously, with all the um, coronation stuff. Yeah, so I got to go to that, and then... I remember having to go to New York for the Princess Trust International Gala and having to read his speech. And everyone's like, oh my God, you're reading the King's speech. <laughs> I was trembling. I was like, oh my God, I can't do it. And then I came on stage and everyone's like, wow, that is major. So that letter now, I'm going to frame it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. but, I mean, I mean, he has done amazing things, hasn't he? Helping He's people to get into business. Incredible, incredible. Trust. And I, I love what the Princess Trust stand for and the fact that they really care, they really care because I remember, especially after losing my mom, just feeling alone and having an organization like that who actually, you know, believe in you. Because when you're that young as well, you just want someone to encourage you and and to really, you know, to, to be there for you, a friend, you know, a friend. Like, and I felt like they were they were that organization that really cared. You know, you don't get much these days like even even then like you know it was when sometimes I think about it I'm like 
even sometimes family, you're, you've got a great idea, you want to do a business and they have the money, but they still wouldn't help you. So the fact that they give you the grant and that, that you know, the loan, the loan was such a, a it was a very soft loan because I think I only paid something like 2% interest and it was such a small amount. So it was affordable. It was something like, I think I used to pay like 90 pound a month. It was nothing, you know? So it was very, it was, yeah, it was very, um, it was very geared for someone who's just starting who really needed that help. And then tell me about um, the business scaling and employing people. Because it's one thing when you're working for yourself effectively at home, or maybe you've got uh, a single chair, but then when you've moved to a salon and then a bigger salon, all of a sudden you're managing teams of people and other styles. And so tell me about that. What's that like? Oh, that's hard managing people. (laughs) I think the actual work is easy, but managing people, that's a whole different level of (laughs) skills because character oh my god you're dealing with all these different characters and they all have such needs and wants and you know and all you want is just to get the work done so for me for me to choose you I look at character before skills I can teach you the skills but I cannot you know if you come in and you're stroppy and you're you know rude I cannot do anything about that but if I need to show you how to cut properly color, I can do that. But your character is so important to me. And and I mean, my team is small. There's only like five of us. So it's a nice small team. So I look at it like I'm working with my family. And, you know, we, we have our meetings every week. We have to, you know, have like a bonding time. We do events and, you know, we go out together and eat together. So it's like, it's very much like, you know, this is yours too. It's not just my business, it's yours too. And everything you do here is is for you. It's not just for me. So I think more about the character is very important because the skills can come. You can teach the skills. I remember there was one junior that she um, started with us and then she was just so like on her phone all the time. And I'm like, oh, in the shop, I don't even, I'm not even on the phone. People are calling me. It's like 10 missed calls. It's in my bag. What are you doing on your phone? She said she was going to lunch. We never saw her again. <laughs> just, so it's like so much different characters that you have to manage. And she was only like 16. And there's no way I could have done that when I was 16. You just didn't have the, you were just not, We. I don't know, we were just so different. But kids now, everyone's got some sort of problem. And, you know, they're not feeling well. And all you're doing is massaging egos all the time, you know? So, <laughs> so you have to know how to, kind of balance it that's why I always go for the character first and the person who am I dealing with can this person is this person teachable is this person you know are they part of this team do they understand this this um ethos of my business do they know do they want to be here because there's no point in you being here and just collecting the hourly pay if you're not really interested so it's really important to find um yeah, the balance of that. And and tell us about your your hair products, because not only are you setting up um, a really successful uh, hair salon, uh, you're also launching your own product range. So how did yeah. that come about? 
So I've always worked with all of the big brands like the L'Oreal, Evaders. You know, I always loved, obviously you do hair and these women and men, they sit in your chair and they complain and like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like the smell of it. My hair feels dry. This is too oily. You know, this is not doing enough. My hair is breaking. So then I thought, you know what? It would be so nice to have a range that is done by the expert that the expert had created because you work with hair all the time. You understand the hair better than any corporation. So it would be really interesting to, to, um, to have my own range. But obviously that sounded like, you know, it sounds easy saying it, but doing it. So, you know, I would go to Ghana and my grandmother, I remember growing up, she always used to use shea butter on our skin, on our hair. And it was so nice and made our skin so soft and our hair really soft. So I thought, maybe I should start bringing some of the shea butter back and try doing treatments. Like I'll mix a cocktail of different oils and treatments. So that's how I started with it. And then I said, oh, I actually think it would be good to package this because the clients loved it. They'll be like, what did you use on my hair? It feels so soft. It's not breaking as much. You know, I love it and I love the scent. So I started touring with the idea of launching my own products, but it took a long time because it's all self-funded by me. And also it was just hard because it's not like a manual or, you know, someone that you could say, oh, let me go to and they will teach me. You had to learn. And for me, I wanted something that the formulation worked, but also aesthetically, I wanted it to look beautiful because often most of the products on the market for Afro curly textures at that time, I mean, now there's a lot more products at that time, were very aesthetically not pleasing. Like, you know, some of the labels were like crooked and like, you know, it would have like a pink, a pink bottle with like yellow writing. It was just, no, it wasn't desirable. And I used to always see the lovely products for European hair. And I used to think, well, why don't we have that? Why, why, you know, so I think my whole thing was like trying to create that lifestyle that, you know, if I have a really nice product, because I'm so particular about the things in my home as well, it would fit in with my aesthetics. So the packaging was really important to me. And also I wanted to tell my story. I wanted to tell my story of the growing up in Ghana, and coming to London and the, the you know the the the, the cross heritage was is so it's so strong like you know my my Ghanaian culture my chicness from being in London and all of the you know all of the cool stuff that I've done in my 20s so I wanted to tell that story and I think coming up with those the patterns I don't know if you've seen the product have you seen the products yeah yeah oh, the products the yeah so it's very um that packaging that you can see, those um, geometric shapes, it's actually taken from a cloth. So I took the story way back to my grandparents because whenever they went to anything, any event that was like fancy or, you know, like something really like a wedding, they always wore the kente cloth, which is like royalty. It was very beautifully woven. And I, I, I wanted to tell that story, but because I wanted it to look minimalist, Kente cloths tend to be very colorful. So then I started touring with other ideas of African fabrics. And I realized that in, um, in Sierra Leone, they had this cloth called the Cuba cloth. So I took those geometric shapes from the Cuba cloth and I turned them into my initials. 
So what you can see is a C and an M, which is my initials. And then the gold, of course, Ghana was once called Gold Coast. So, you know, you walk around and you just found gold. So I thought that was such a, an important message. So, and also it's so sunny there, it's so bright and it's golden. So I wanted that on there. And the formulation actually came from one of my amazing trips with a client. I'm always doing weddings. I actually have one today when I finish here. And, uh, you know, we went to the Serengeti and I had a head massage after working and I was like, wow, this oil feels so amazing. And the lady then told me that it's called Manketi it's from the Mongongo tree. So then I started researching and I realized that that oil has existed for 6,000 years and nobody knew about it. Even I, you know, lived in Africa, we never heard about, we heard a lot about shea butter, but not. Manchetti. So the more I researched, the more I fell in love with it. And the more I realized that the oil was also very weightless and it really deeply nourishes curly, thick Afro textures, but it doesn't leave it with that greasy feel. And I felt like a lot of the products on the market were very greasy. And I wanted that elevation of a nice, luxurious product that will give you all that you needed, but without that oily, shiny finished so that's how they came about and um we're actually in our seventh year so <laughs> I can't believe that seven years yeah so next week I'm launching uh, our seventh product it's, it's been really quite magical actually because I always said about sustainability and I'm so glad that I've stayed with that sustainability mindset because people say sustainability and they've got like 15 30 products but we've just got the small niche range but it can do, you know, you can, you can use them multiple ways. And um, the oils won so many awards as well. And the product that I'm launching next week is all about scalp wellness. So it's not so much um, styling product, but it's more about treating the scalp and the mind and the, the body to feel so well that you get more blood circulation, more oxygen, and in turn, you'll have more growth. So hopefully it should be a win-win for us, this one. Yeah. And then on top of all, if that wasn't enough, Charlotte, <laughs> and it's a lot, you've also written a book, Good Hair. Yes. So that came about, like I always, I've always wanted to write a book. And um, I always thought that if I was ever to have a book, it was going to be like a coffee table book with loads of the hair creations that I've done. Because I have about 500 pictures, um, photographs of hair that I've created. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna create a book with all of those pictures. And then when I got approached by Penguin, it was like, oh no, no, we wanted to tell your story. I was like, oh, so it's not gonna be a coffee table book. But um, yeah, Good Hair is an amazing book. It's all about acceptance, you know, and celebrating your God-given texture. So for me, all hair is good, whether it's long, short, curly, coily, wavy, you know, whatever, it's it's all good hair. It's about us kind of accepting and celebrating and honoring the textures that we're born with and, and making the most of it. So that's how the book came about. But it's also got so much about black history. There's so much in there. So it kind of tells you about the hairstyles in the seventies, why those hairstyles came about, what the hairstyles were in the eighties and all the stories around that time as well. And my own stories around that time. So it's a very special book. I think when people see it, they're just like, oh, is it just gonna be about hair? But once you read it, you're like, wow, 
I mean, I've had so many people tell me that what an amazing read. They loved it so much. They keep begging me for the next one. So, And is there going to be a next one, Charlotte? Yes, definitely. There's going to be several. <laughs> <laughs> I and also so you... like cooking as well. So I feel like I need to come out with a cookbook. I make these wow. amazing cakes and literally everyone, I'm now making people's birthday cakes. I can't believe it. I'm <laughs> So, yeah. so Charlotte, there's no slowing down, is there? There's, do you know what? The actual cooking part is my therapy because I feel like the balance comes when I'm in the middle of cooking, chopping. It lets out all my thoughts. It kind of detoxes my mind from business. I'm not thinking about money. I'm not thinking about, you know, who's coming in, why is it slow, whatever. I just think about what I'm making. And then I get to share with my family and friends and we're enjoying the food and chatting and laughing and I love it. Yeah. Well, what's clear to see is your creativity, oh. um, your entrepreneurialness, but also creating new products, creating yes. food. I mean, it shines through. Oh, and thank um, you. and you're a real inspiration in what you've achieved. And uh, I'd like to thank you for being on this edition of the uh, oh. Work Life podcast. And uh, I'm sure uh, all of our listeners will wish you every success with your your new scalp product that comes out very shortly. Yeah, um, but also, you. we look forward to reading books two, three, four, yes, five, and, and your food book. Yeah. Also, I forgot to mention I set up the charity. I don't know if I, I mentioned it after my. No, mom. tell tell us all about the charity. Yeah. So the charity came about like I always have these young people, especially in Ghana who would get in touch with me and say, look, you know, I really want to learn a skill because places like Africa to learn a skill, you have to pay. And a lot of their parents are very poor. So they're not able to, um, you know, afford the, the classes and the apprenticeships. So you find that a lot of the kids under the age of 20 have got two, like two or three kids. So I then started to put together like a small workshop, but I always thought, oh, maybe I needed a building. And then during the pandemic, I'm like, do you know what? I'm in Ghana. I'm here for like five months. Why don't I just start doing it under the tree? So near where I live in Ghana, there's a big mango tree. So we'll sit under the tree and started cutting hair, learning how to blow dry, learning how to braid, learning how to, you know, do all the curling textures and, and all the styling techniques. And then we started with like two, three mentees. Now we have like 18 and out of out of the 18, one of them's opened her first salon. Wonderful. Yes, yes. What it's a great thing to do to be able to pass that skill on. Yes, it's so important to give back. Yeah. Well, yeah. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real thrill listening to your amazing journey. And <laughs> many, many congratulations. I feel like I could talk forever, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you. you've done thank brilliantly. Yeah, I mean you To listen to more episodes and find out how to get happy in your working life, head to workall.co. Work happier.